let's uh, yeah, let's get into it. So, yeah, I don't have a ton of experience with making good audio on Audacity. I just have good experience uh, making uh, just meme tracks for really yeah, shit projects. Posts. Just shit posts, exactly. So, uh, <laughs> this is this is uh, an exciting endeavor. But anyway, we should probably introduce ourselves. Um, I am Jason, uh, and uh, I guess we'll do my full name. I guess we'll do full names. We're not gonna die. Uh, make sure to put your yeah yeah. Make sure you put your username in the middle. You know, with the quotes, Jason. <laughs> okay schwartz was it i forgot your last Weiss. name honestly schwartz that's hilarious Weiss. you went the opposite direction okay so i am I was like, uh, i'm pretty sure i have a uh, schwartz in my phone there you go i hope we're right next to each other so yes i am <laughs> uh jason wintermute inc weiss uh you'll probably find me on the internet there i have a number of aliases i'm trying to sort of condense them but we'll get there um and i have a blog called use your items uh dot wordpress.com where i write about video games usually whatever comes to mind it's trying to be a little bit more mindful and thoughtful about how we approach the media form and the content that we create there particularly trying to avoid just like rampant shit posting in the sense of just tearing people down, tearing games down, tearing like the hard work that developers put in to create these things just for clout or content or for Twitter, you know, Twitter engagement, which I feel like often does happen in the space. Um, yeah, so I'd like to just write more about it. And I was trained as a uh, rhetorician in college, in grad school. I went to school for English and English education. So I spent a lot of time writing about books and literature. And I feel like there could be a lot more of that in video game writing as well. And I think there's really starting to be and I'd like to be in that in that space. So that's a little bit, bit about me. Cool, and I'm um, Francisco Fantastico Martin, I guess, is would be uh, my username. I also go online by Spanglish Fran uh, as well. I'm trying everything to be Fantastico, but um, got a few usernames still around. Um, I am a game developer by trade, uh, software engineer specifically, so making games all over the place, worked on... Uh, Magic Arena. I've worked yeah. on a few VR games. Yeah, <laughs> I've worked on uh, a few games that haven't come out yet um, and all that stuff. Um, I do uh, remember that I do have a blog post, actually, a blog, but I really don't post that much. I should honestly post more, and it's more technical. Um, it's for the uh, my game company that I will eventually uh, release games under, Juegos Fantásticos or Juegos Fantásticos. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but so I think it's on uh, juegosflantasticos.blogspot.com or something like that. Nice. We might cut this out. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, super excited. I think I am peeking a little bit on my microphone on Audacity. So I'm going to lower that a bit. Yeah, I actually didn't uh, check my Audacity peaking as well. I'll probably just rip it down a little bit to be safe. Oh, there we go. Hey, there we go. Me too. Nice. <laughs> So today, I guess a little bit of preface, for 2023, I started, I kind of re-got into, restarted my blog. I had written in it quite a bit last year, and then I fell off the train, and 
I was looking for a project to kind of try and tie my my desire to write more about video games together. And so I was inspired by um, Brendan Bigley and Stephen Hilger from Into the Aether. And they had they do bonus episodes and they usually talk about whatever's on their mind or whatever games is really interesting to them or something that's particularly mindful or useful in the moment or it's just relevant to their interests at the time and something that stuck in my crawl was this idea of like everybody has games that are super super important to them that are well gamers have games that are super super important to them i don't think joe biden has games that are super important to him but (laughs) um yeah so everyone has games that are really important to them and i want to explore what makes those games so important to people what makes it a desert island game for you or what makes it something that is worth visiting again in 2023 i think there's a lot of nostalgia attached to these ideas and i think that's perfectly fine and totally normal and i want to sort of inspect that a little bit as well so i made a list of i think it's 25 games and i sourced these games from my own notes but mostly from my friends and colleagues that i that i know who have strong opinions about this, and uh, today we're going to talk about Final Fantasy VII, which I'll admit is a game that I mostly added for my own sake. I feel like once you said that, I'm kind of like a guinea pig, because I I definitely am on the nostalgia, emotionally connected to this game. Um, uh, I guess a little bit of background with Final Fantasy VII for me um, I played this game or started playing this game before when I was in the single digits of age, like I think at like seven, eight mm-hmm. years old. I didn't finish it when I was that young because I didn't own it. It was at uh, my uncle's place. So I was really into it. I really liked it, but I didn't have the time. I didn't go visit as often enough to finish it. But then afterwards, I actually got uh, Kingdom Hearts and Kingdom Hearts is my guilty pleasure. I'm not going to go off on a rant on it right now because otherwise I'll take the whole episode. We're going to get there anyway. (laughs) And that game really reignited my love for like all these Final Fantasy characters and really wanted me to play Final Fantasy VII again. And that was around the time that my uncle was moving off um, uh, to get like a master's or doctorate. And he was moving off of Puerto Rico off the island. So he pretty much left everything. And he was like, hey, if you want anything, just take it. And I was like, sweet, I'm going to take Final Fantasy VII, and that's when I finished it. So I probably finished it pre-teens, maybe teens, like, wow. that's around the time that I, that I finished it the first time. And honestly, now thinking back on it, I don't think I have finished Final Fantasy VII um, all the way until this playthrough again. <laughs> Um, and I guess that's, that's something that we will get to as to what it, why, why is that the case? I think that's, I I don't think it's that unusual either. There's games that I've restarted a number of times that I get to a certain point and I feel like I'm good. I, I, I really, I reignited that, that passion. I kind of recaptured that original joy. I do this a lot with Chrono Trigger in particular, actually, (laughs) where I get. What, where's the point? What's the point that you, you're like, okay. Usually once I get, once I get to. I would say once I get through the distant, destroyed, dystopian future is right about where I usually fall off. And it, and it varies. I need to have Frog in my party or I'm mm. unhappy. And 
Uh, I love <laughs> Robo. My preferred party is usually Chrono, Robo, and Frog. So once I have that, I'm pretty much, I, I've I've topped out. So. So what you're telling me is that Chrono Trigger, Frog good, Final Fantasy VII, Frog bad. Yes, exactly. Yes, a hundred percent. Frog very bad in Final Fantasy VII. Um, my history with with Final Fantasy VII is is very different. I would say. I never played the game. I had friends who had played it in uh, middle school, I guess. So the game came out in 1997, right? I was seven years old, mm-hmm. and I didn't – if I had a PS1, I don't really remember. I'm sure I did at some point, and I didn't – it wasn't, like, in my wheelhouse. I wasn't crazy about RPGs at the time that weren't, like, Pokemon or mm-hmm. even yeah. Zelda, and – I felt like I didn't understand it. Like there was some sort of hidden knowledge you needed to have to play Final Fantasy VII or that why would I play the seventh one? I didn't play the first six. I, I, <laughs> I'm going to be so lost. I, how am I going to be able to follow along that far in? I mean, I don't even, Harry Potter hadn't even come out yet, right? And I remember a friend at a bowling alley during his birthday party showing me the I believe it was the greatest hits copy. It was like it had that neon like electric green ribbon along the side where it says PlayStation and it was a three disc like greatest hits copy of Final Fantasy seven. So it must have been it was much later on. It was probably five or six years later from release. And yeah, I had never played it. My only experience with Final Fantasy seven is Kingdom Hearts and (laughs) <laughs> Final Fantasy VII Advent Children. Oh, you watched Advent Children? I, so, yeah, it's, uh, I wrote about it in my blog post, but my first deep dive into Final Fantasy VII lore was coming home from a high school dance. It must have been, like, homecoming at 14. And I watched, it was the year that Final Fantasy Advent Children had come out, and I definitely torrented it because I couldn't afford it. And I didn't want to, I was like embarrassed to ask my parents to buy it for me. And I watched this movie getting home from the dance. I could not tell you what happened at the dance. I couldn't tell you like which of my friends were there or not. All I can tell you is I remember distinctly getting home at around 10, watching this movie with hot chocolate and a popcorn just being obsessed immediately obsessed really this is the only this is this is the coolest thing i have ever seen very much so it is very cool the fight scenes are are very flashy that's that's all i cared about (laughs) i couldn't follow the story to save my life uh i'm curious to rewatch it i am too actually because i don't remember a dang thing other than a really long phone scene where the phone gets in a puddle of water and falls for like two or three minutes um everybody is definitely hot topic up where everybody's wearing black nomura really had his way with that one yeah yeah, i don't remember i remember the fights i remember uh sephiroth what do you want (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the cloud, cloud says, this is like, oh my god, what? Well, can we not get another recording of that? <laughs> it's like, it's no, no, not, we had one perfect. take. Yeah, I was. That is I interesting. I did not, that. I did not expect Advent Children to, to 
<laughs> to make yeah. it pop its head into this conversation. In fact, it's probably one of the most important parts of this conversation for me because, like I had said to you, so my history with Final Fantasy VII is extremely mm. vague. It's a pretty it's it's an arguably hilarious but generally panned film that came out in 2004 mm -hmm. in adaptation if you can even call it that of some of the yeah. characters namely who Aerith, cloud and yuffie tifa and tifa yuffie? yeah oh, they're both i in forgot there. that yuffie uh, was in kingdom hearts one i'm pretty sure everybody's in there oh in kingdom hearts yeah, okay in kingdom gotcha, hearts, gotcha. right so in kingdom hearts one and two those characters are in there i mean squall's there too but nobody cares <laughs> Oh, Sid? Sid is Sid there? Sid is there as well. Though Sid, Which Sid? Fair, to be fair, Sid, yeah, Sid is in like everything. Yeah, Sid's <laughs> so. in every single one. I couldn't tell you which. It, it doesn't feel like the Sid from Final Fantasy VII, but I might just... I, I, I feel like it is very much like the Sid from Final Fantasy VII. It's just that he's more PG'd because obviously he's okay. he's he curses left and right he's a sailor <laughs> um so so i would say it's it's the the essence if you take away the swearing and the all that stuff i think and the abusiveness <laughs> the, yeah. which we i guess we could get into later yeah. the the uh it's, it's abusiveness yeah that that there's i mean it's a game from 1997 i think a lot of things aged pretty poorly <laughs> like many things in that time did I don't know how much we wanted to go into spoilers, but if we want even another perspective of somebody coming into Final Fantasy VII and Kingdom Hearts, uh, my girlfriend also played Kingdom Hearts before Final Fantasy VII, but she played Kingdom Hearts relatively recent, like maybe the last like five years. So it's she had no nostalgia for Kingdom Hearts, she had no nostalgia for Final Fantasy VII. And uh, I guess here's the spoiler alert starting, at, and I'll bring you back, it'll be just like 30 seconds to a minute is that she sincerely thought that Aerith's death was a fake out because in Kingdom Hearts, she's alive. So yeah. obviously, if Kingdom Hearts must be canonical to the Final Fantasy VII universe. And so so um, she has a bad, uh, a bad relationship with media. I guess, spoiler alert, gone. She has a bad relationship with media in that she never expects anybody is truly ever gone. She, she's, she's like, if somebody dies, it's like, they're just doing it to pull my heartstrings, but they're going to be back. Comic book stuff. Yeah. She's been birthed too many times to actually have any emotional attachment to, to, to any death because, because she's right. like, ah, they might be coming back. Who cares? Mm -hmm. That's fair. I think, I think it goes without saying that this is probably just a spoilery piece of content i don't it, it's gonna be kind of hard to deep dive uh i mean it's so old. i want to without talking about it so i think we can even I'll, I'll restate it in a brief intro but this will definitely be spoiler territory spoiler tastic for uh you know a, a game that's almost 30 years old with that experience of not having played the game in in my teens really and similar to to your partner's experience of not uh, of coming at mm -hmm. it with all of this itinerant extant media surrounding yeah it. i mean it's one of the biggest games of all time it's i i honestly think it has affected me too like there are so many things about this game that has been fleshed out through alternate media you have your crisis core which when we talk about zach's story that'll become more relevant. There's a uh, Dirge of Cerebus, which honestly, I don't remember anything 
I, I absolutely, <laughs> that game has been erased from my memory. I played it all the way through, and I don't remember anything that happens in that game. So whatever, I guess. Even the Final Fantasy VII, uh, just a remake or remake, which I guess will be the, the bookend of this conversation of like looking towards the future and everything. There's a lot of things that have filled in the gap that when I replayed it this time, I was like, mm -hmm. huh, we don't really get to see much of Zack. Zack, like, as a character, is barely in this game. Like, and if you play this game, just this game, and think about Zack, you imagine, oh, Zack must have been kind of like a cloud type character and that's not true at all zach has a wholly different personality so much so that i actually have uh, playing this uh the game this uh way through i actually had a a giga brain revelation that i'm gonna be sharing later on but i don't want to share right now because it's uh, too early i'm gonna that's a little bit of a you know breadcrumbs for the for the listeners for later on <laughs> so listen to the end Ooh. <laughs> oh yes yes dear listener you have to stick around that's how we'll sure you yeah i think zach's zach's an interesting i mean we could just get into it right so it it comes from this perspective mm -hmm. of in alternate media mm -hmm. clouds try hard edgelord doesn't care about anyone, mm. too cool for school. He wears zip-up, sleeveless, turtleneck, knit yeah. sweaters, and carries a big sword, and he's just the most ultimate dude. He's just, he's just like, the, he's a sol he's ex-soldier, yeah. he's a mercenary, he doesn't care about anybody. The opening of the game is him blowing up a power plant, right, so that he can for money get paid. not even for any yeah for yeah, none over the course of just the beginning of the game the first couple hours once you get away from blowing up the power plant in shin in shinra a sector of, i forget which one it is for or something and rejoining avalanche at the bar at at tifa's bar you start to realize he's just a He's just a dork. Yes. He's just an he's a huge dweeb. Yes. And he he kind of reminds me of he just reminds me of what I would be like as as a kid playing it. Like thinking you're super cool, like super in your head and uh, assuming like you know better than everyone else around you because you've seen some real crazy shit, but in actuality, Cloud's just like he's a dork with a really big sword. He's effective, but he is a dork with a big sword. I think I think that is a huge thing. Um, that that is a crux. I think this is the crux of Cloud's character. Cloud has had a a a personality problem because Cloud from Final Fantasy, the original one, to all his external media is kind of different. Like Cloud in external media has been pretty much what we remember. It's a nostalgia Cloud versus the real Cloud. And by Nostalgia Cloud, I mean this is the cloud that you remember when you played Final Fantasy VII when you were 10 or preteen or whatever. Because your social maturity isn't there yet, mm. so you only see the cool character. You only see the <laughs> guy with a huge sword with a cool motorcycle you have a poster on on the wall. You don't see the dweeb until you are much older and i think that there was a disc huge disconnect back in the day and this is me just with hindsight i did not realize this when i was a kid because i was a dweeb a social immature dweeb 
there was a huge disconnect with Cloud as a character after Final Fantasy VII, where some people were like, this is a realistic character of a antisocial, bullied kid who didn't have many friends and therefore didn't have an opportunity to really exercise his speaking skills and his uh, yeah. social ability. And the other side of things where this is just a cool lone wolf type oh i don't need anybody i'm super cool and that's the character who has more marketing power and therefore that's the character that later on in advent children and kingdom hearts and all these other games got uh, reenacted so a bit of a spoiler slash uh looking into the future one of the reasons i personally am a big fan of final fantasy 7 remake is that they caught the essence of the original cloud. Um, I was worried that now that they're going to have voice acting, that they're going to be, this is going to be Kingdom Hearts cloud, that this is going to be all these things. They did the voice acting and the directing and everything is really good in that you can tell that this is a guy who who is a loner, is a bit edgy and all these things, but it's not because he wants to be, it's because he doesn't know how else to be. Yeah. Um, and little by little on that story in Final Fantasy VII Remake, you can see him opening up little by little and becoming friends. And oh my goodness, I love it. Yeah, I, I think that was absolutely my favorite part of of playing Final Fantasy VII was just the un, the unraveling of Cloud. And like you said, it's, it's this sort of standoffish lone wolf edgelord type character that comes from a place of of not understanding the the sort of social cues and the and the social aspect of being uh, in society in a society that's that's honestly fairly unwelcoming to outsiders and yeah. i think that's the part that really stuck stuck with me the most was watching watching cloud develop into not just the leader of the party but the the like de facto friend the glue that sort of stuck everything yeah. together i guess Aerith also plays a pretty big role in the the glue of the party hmm. I, I think Aerith is the sparking like incident the uh that that opens up cloud i mean i i think that T there's too much history with tifa and everybody else isn't a friend so yeah. so having Aerith, who is both a new person who wants to become a friend immediately, regardless of, I guess you can say, ulterior motives, kind of, like bouncing back mm. kind of deal. Uh, yeah, she, she is the, the, the important part that brings her together. And something that I think gets overlooked, there's so many discussions and, about tifa versus Aerith and all these different things of like who is the who is the otp <laughs> i honestly something a relationship that gets overlooked a lot that that i had not realized until replaying the game is the barrett cloud relationship that friendship goes through so many peaks and valleys yeah. and is so deep but and it's so good i love it <laughs> he's such a good character barrett is also a good character like I do love Barrett. I I had a, a pretty deep concern with my with expectations of Barrett, mm. and I won't say that they were totally alleviated in playing Final Fantasy VII. I do think that Barrett as a character is a bit yeah. of a black exploitation or a black exploitation like stand-in. 
it's Square Enix does not have a good history with that with, with that character. Um, even if, having said that, I agree, hundred percent. Yeah, leaps and bound from their other um, black yeah. <laughs> representation, like Barrett making Barrett a, mm-hmm. a proud father, like is such a beautiful thing. But yeah, I do agree. Let's give the black character a right. gun, and he yeah. swears a lot. And he like, has a, a like a flat top haircut, and it's the whole thing was just not. Uh, I mean, the representation, the visual representation, is certainly lacking. It's in line with, I guess, '90s media coming off of you know Mr. T in the yeah. '80s and things like that, and pro the pro wrestling scene, which I believe was big in Japan. I don't know if it was in the '90s, but it was in the United States. If if it wasn't Square Enix, and if it were modern day, I would give them the benefit of the doubt and say they probably were doing it on purpose to kind of like subvert your expectations and make him like I mean, a I much more deeper character. But Square Enix. you can't get around it. In the 90s, Square Enix, no. there's no way that they were subverting expectations. Yeah. They were just playing to the to the character, to the stereotype. I don't feel like the, uh, any doubt or, or any credence to Square Enix. I mean, they're they're... They don't. They don't. Yeah, deserve no, definitely. They don't deserve it. <laughs> they do not. But I mean, Final Fantasy do thirteen doesn't fix the problem, and that, and they had an opportunity to fix it again. A, I didn't even play father, it, so they seem to get that part right. But then, I don't know. We, I don't want to get too far into it, but I do love Barrett as a character because I think he does have this really interesting relationship, not just with Cloud, but with the rest of the party. So the thing that stuck out with me was barrett is constantly struggling with what it means to be to be a good father and how to raise um marlene despite honestly being absent for most of the game because he's saving the world but it is this point of you know what do i have to do to ensure a future for my child and at the same time he's wrestling with the traumas of his past that so much of my experience of final fantasy seven was watching characters with somewhat tragic pasts, but moreover my the takeaway i had was everything is is riddled in this conversation with loss and losing something important losing your home losing your planet losing your arm losing your loved ones whatever it might be and it's the story of constantly losing something that's important to you and then rediscovering new things and new relationships and new connections that can either repair that previous trauma or in some ways just uh in some ways replace it which isn't necessarily the correct response but it is it is the response that we get i mean we see it in in yuffie's side story we see it in uh Aerith's story as well uh the rediscovery in the live stream with cloud so I think Barrett's really great for this because it does give us a little bit of that that buddy cop drama that you kind of want between Cloud and Barrett. And at the same time, I think he brings a lot of perspective to Cloud's character of just, you know, I like I, I have to give a shit about this. Mm-hmm. I have to care. I, I have a child on the line. This isn't just the hero thing yeah. to do. It's and that there's a moment I think I don't remember if mm-hmm. it was on a train or not, but like Barrett has this like come to Jesus moment where he's like, it's not just about being cool and sticking it to the man and winning for winning sake. It's like, I have something on the line here. Like I have to do this for Marlene. And that was like such a great turning point from my experience in the game, because 
up until then, Barrett was just kind of like the brash, cursing, you know, like mercenary leader who's upset that Cloud's like stepping on his toes and things like that. Yeah, he's the he's the the antithesis is essentially what what Cloud needs to become, right? right. Like Cloud needs to become more. Cloud needs to give more of a shit. Mm-hmm. Barrett is always give, giving a shit, I guess. It almost feels like um, now thinking about it, like if Barrett had, I, I, I mean, I don't know. If, I haven't thought too much about this, so this might be a hot take. I wonder if Barrett dying would have been as impactful as Aerith dying. Like having the the leader who has always been like, we need to do this, we can do it, let's pull through, let's whatever, whatever. I don't think it would make an impact from a marketing standpoint because. Um, Unfortunately, tropes of uh, of damsel in distress and the love interest dying will have a more emotional impact to preteens. Um, but as an adult, now thinking about it, I wonder if Barrett dying instead of Aerith would have had a more emotional impact from like thinking about I- I'm a sucker for father daughter stories, uh, especially where the father like passes away. Um, I'm not gonna, I was about to give examples, but I do not want to give examples because that'll be spoilers for other media. Uh, (laughs) I'm a sucker for those stories. Um, I wonder if how much of an impact that would have made. I wonder the same. It's, it's interesting because that, and that's going to kind of lead us into the, to the titular, (laughs) to the big one, the titular, the titular spoiler. Um, (laughs) But Barrett, Barrett as a character, I think he's maybe the only one in the party who really stood to lose anything. Mm-hmm. Ava was going to lose Cloud and the bar. Mm-hmm. And arguably Marlene. Uh, she seemed to be sort of like an ant figure to Marlene in yeah. many ways. Um, but I, I feel like Barrett really stood to lose the most. Kate, Sith, not really. Uh, yeah. an interesting character we <laughs> i have opinions um and i'm trying to think i mean vincent i, I don't know what he stands to lose he already he lost everything story. he exactly uh, speaking of cloud being an edgelord for edgelord <laughs> like dweeb whatever vincent is the edgelord for edge like yes he's lost yeah. a lot and everything but he's got over a hundred years or like whatever many years to get over it like like you find him sleeping in a coffin in the ruins of a mansion in in uh, Nibelheim. It's like get over yourself, dude. Come on. It's it's once you meet Vincent, and even if you it, then later on, if you go to recruit Vincent, I feel like you can no longer say Cloud's just the Edge Lord character because there's he's right there. Vincent's right there. Do you think in red and black with guns? Do you think that they did that on purpose? Like they were like, you know what? We need to add in a character who is the antithesis of Cloud. Well, not the antithesis. Is the you imagine this to be Cloud, but we're oh, you think that's what Cloud is? We'll show you what you think Cloud is. We'll show you what you think an Edge Lord is here. Um, I, I I feel like it could be. It really could be. Vincent's such a weird character. He comes in so late in the game, and he's he's such a one trick character. I didn't spend a lot of time building him out. Did but... you get him before or after Sid? Ooh, um, 
because I think Sid is the if you get every uh, optional character as soon as they become available, Sid is the latest one. But I have Vincent is such an obtuse way of like unlocking that I I the first time I played it I got him after Sid. Like I I think I I got him before I got mm-hmm. Sid. I feel like I got everyone as soon as I could. This playthrough I, I did as well. Yeah, I used a guide for a mm-hmm. lot of it. For whenever I got stuck, I was uh, I it took me a little bit longer than I wanted to to complete the game. Mm-hmm. So I I. I am a firm believer in the liberal use of guides, okay, especially yeah, that's fine. for old games. When you get to dig through like old game FAQs forums, that's the that's the that's the chef's kiss. That's the the, the uh, mono spaced <laughs> mono spaced oh, no weird. editing. Um, for me, I mean, this is like a hot take for for um, not even a hot take. It's for uh, for game guides. I think game guides are good use game guides whatever a good game guide won't give you story spoilers though like if a good game guide is telling you like it's difficult to write a good game guide and it's even more so difficult to give a good game guide that is being a supporting guide to help you with the game rather than just telling you how to do everything because that latter one where it's just telling you to do everything, I'm kind of iffy on. But if it's a game guide of like, hey, by the way, there's items here. There's things over here. Oh, a strategy is to do this. And then you th- remember that strategy and you're like, oh, I can use yeah. that strategy later on. And I don't need the game guide later on. Those are the good yeah. game guides that I really like. Um, yeah, once a game, yeah. I feel like there's maybe a later episode here for us when we uh, we where we play through Tunic and we get to talk about okay. uh, game guides because I I do I, I do feel very similarly. I have deep deep rooted core memories of begging my parents to buy me like Brady and Prima guides at Best okay. uh, Best Buy and Barnes and Noble and i i it's yeah and i have like the the asks the ascii formatted text documents on game facts that you download that are like 50 kilobytes but it's 400 oh pages <laughs> of content that 12 people made to, it's just like it's really a lost it, re- it, it really is game facts uh we need to uh bring you back um i never had i never had um <laughs> i never had the luxury of buying game guides um a bit of background i guess here quick background is that um my um i was a a overweight kid growing up um i might as i am still an overweight kid right now (laughs) but i was an overweight kid and my parents were very much um they weren't against me playing video games but they were very hesitant in um encouraging me to play video games so i i didn't have that many video games growing up uh because um they were hoping that i would play more outside if i didn't have as much media to consume inside so so yeah uh, any money that i would get from my parents for video games had to go to video games it couldn't go to like video right. game toys or video game like guides or anything else right. um just because it was very uh, i needed to use my money very wisely in in that sense 
do you think that impacted your decision? Oh, totally. Game 100%. Uh, my parents, I mean, they meant well, but they were very much the type of parents that were kind of like, no, you can't go into game development or any artistic endeavor. At one point, I wanted to be a uh, video di- uh, film director uh, or a graphic designer. Mm-hmm. I was always really good at math and science, which is one of the reasons why they wanted me to go more into engineering and and stuff like that. And one of the reasons I became a software engineer was because I was like, this will make my parents happy. It is a good degree to have if my dreams of becoming a game developer don't pan out. Um, but at the same time, I'm going to quietly be making games. Uh, <laughs> and then the background is, oh, yeah, they won't. They will never know. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it all worked out. So. <laughs> right yeah no it's it's certainly interesting um how how we how we end up at these places in our lives and it's it's curious to me to hear that you were sort of Mm -hmm. limited to games as a as as a child growing up by your parents who were you know in all all yeah yeah yeah. they were trying to do anything and figure out what the you know how do we how do we make sure our son's successful and then you're like well uh i'm gonna i'm gonna make the thing that you didn't let me have (laughs) yeah i'm gonna make a lot of more kids be uh uh, lose uh um overweight (laughs) yeah uh, well i think i don't know about that part but i i think bringing joy to a lot of a lot of people's lives by making games is a is an extremely worthwhile endeavor you could uh you 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 could be uh selling mayonnaise like some of us speaking so, of which do you have some mayonnaise uh, dear listener uh, we'll save that a... for i uh, i actually moved it for the guests that uh, i moved it for the guests that are coming later today so um yes dear listener we can talk all about my endeavors in uh the wonderful emulsion of mayonnaise in later episodes patreons that hit our 50 dollar get mayonnaise in the mail <laughs> 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 yeah yeah our patreons will get the we'll get my uh my <laughs> diatribe on mayonnaise um anyway let's let's yes uh, final fantasy yes. 7 that's why we're here so right uh we left off we were kind of talking about cl- uh cloud yeah. and pirate i think that leads us to the the party in mm-hmm. greater respect and the party as a whole i i'm really yeah. attached to the characters in this game that's what kept me here i i did not like the battle system really i really hated it i really did i i have a strong strong dislike of it and coming from like i'm not a, I, i'm not like alien mm. to final fantasy games I've played Final Fantasy 1, Final Fantasy 2, parts of Final Fantasy 3. I've played through 4. Uh, I played through parts of 9, all of 10, all of 10, 2. Wow. Um, I, I, I've played Final Fantasy games. I've finished men- most of them. 12, I also played. 14. Um, and just to be clear, when you say the battle system, do you include the preparation, like materia system? And- yes. Oh, interesting. So I, yeah, let's talk about this rather than, <laughs> we'll save the party stuff because that's maybe juicier. Um, the ATB gauge sucks. Um, it sucks. That is my hot take. It is trash and it is extremely unfun to get got by not having slow available yet or not casting haste or haste fell off. And so now I'm acting like slightly behind, like, 
it, it's a it's a system. I mm-hmm. think that they very much were trying to capture the feel of real time action fighting, and this I think was a very worthwhile attempt. I think it was a great execution uh, attempting to solve that necessary problem of how do we make turn based mm-hmm. combat more fun, but it's still too turn based. So correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure the ATB system has existed before Final Fantasy VII. It's just that Final Fantasy so. VII is the first one that showed the t- the bar timer. Like, I believe Final Fantasy three slash six also had an ATB. It's just that they didn't show it to the player. They didn't show you the that, hey, you are, your, your move is coming up. It just tells you, hey, it's your turn now um, kind of deal. I believe you're correct. Okay. I have not played six. That's also on my okay. list for this year. And three, I did not get very far into, which would check out. Well, I'm, I'm talking about uh, the numbering system is all over the place. Three, Final Fantasy three in the U.S. is six in Japan. <laughs> Do you know about all this? Okay, then yeah. So yeah, yeah. I did because they came out. At, yeah. Yeah. So six, then I have not played, but it is on my list. That's a job system okay. game, I believe. I, I believe I so. Yes. I might be wrong. Don't. Uh, I'll. We'll talk about it at a later episode. I. Uh, I have not played most of these games either to completion or since I was, or if I played it to completion, I was in preteen, yeah. so I don't remember much of it. But yeah, so I. I did not like the ATB system. I felt like I was. Um, I felt like I was. I was getting got too often by getting looped. It like getting death looped, and part of this. I, mm-hmm. I will admit is the way that I built my party. I had a specific <laughs> goal in mind when I built my party, and I admit that maybe mm-hmm. I could have diversified my portfolio more. And I think that's maybe what the developers <laughs> were going for. But I was talking mm-hmm. to a friend of mine who said, hey, did you know that Cloud has the highest magic stat in the game? I was like, cool, you're my mage then. Because that seems antithetical to how the developers really do, planned on it being built. So I just gave them every slot mm. I could, every materia slot I could, every summon, maxed out my 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 all my mage spells on him. Eventually, by the end of the game, I did mm. split him into uh, healing as well, and then I gave Tifa healing as well. So I did I did learn my lesson, mm. but I refused to have it in set mode. It was always in active because I feel like that's kind of what the... I thought there was an option where you could set it where like you get to do your move before the next person does. And mm. I felt like they wanted yeah. it all to be happening at once. They wanted it to be an action movie. Let's yeah. play it that way. Yeah. So I tried to take them at their intention. And I did not enjoy the battle system. Interesting. I, uh, I am somebody... I, I feel like um, Final Fantasy. Uh, I enjoy the battle system. The ATB system, I could I could give or take. The materia system, I, I love. Cool. I I think the materia system is kind of like a, a deck of cards. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like it plays to my magic sensibilities of like trying Doesn't to play to your final make different decks sensibilities. Oh, I didn't play Final. I didn't. I played Final Fantasy VIII for like. 30 minutes to an hour and i was like what is i need to draw magic from the enemies to cast magic this is bs i'm out and i didn't finish it so so it does not play uh to too much to that um if anything i would say that um the materia is is dated in that 
it's very i wanted it to be more of a deck building system i wanted it more to be like can i save like configurations so that way i have this one be my cloud magic configuration versus my cloud bodyguard configuration and all these different things cool. uh, but it's you know it's an old game so they probably didn't think they were the, the development of final fantasy 7 is pretty pretty uh well documented it was all over the place the atb itself i don't have i i i could give or take i don't dislike it i don't think that it adds too much in this game i will say the atb in final fantasy remake is is core to how i love that game like i think the atb they got it i think final fantasy 7 remake Mm -hmm. is the best action rpg battle system that we've gotten from a you have your kingdom hearts where it's trying to like have this menu while you're playing and all these things but it's like i'm just gonna have shortcut magic and that's all the magic that exists to me in in kingdom hearts i'm never going to be going through the menus to try to find that other magic um nino kuni is another game where they're trying to do this like you're moving around and sometimes you got to go through menus as you move around i don't like it Uh, it's just too much you can't do it final fantasy 7 remake is the best and not just best playing but best looking and i guess i'm gonna cut myself off here because this is not a final fantasy 7 remake discussion but i will say the final fantasy 7 remake atb it's in conversation though now, uh, if we get to Final Fantasy Remake later on, I would yeah. love to talk a little bit more about it, but but I'll cut myself off here. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fair mm-hmm. enough. Yeah, I think, I mean, I can tell what they were going for. I did enjoy, there were times that I did really enjoy it, but my overall experience was just feeling like I would get death looped in a boss fight or a particularly difficult uh, enemy fight, especially in the Northern Caves at the end of the game. And I guess my bigger frustration with it was I didn't feel like it was really in my favor. It wasn't, like, in the favor of the player to to manage the ATB system. It really felt like I should be jobbing it as quickly as I can with haste magic on my party, slow magic on the enemy, and try to, try to nullify their number of turns versus mine as opposed uh, to... Go ahead. No, you can finish your, your statement. I, something to add on to that. It wanted to be super interactive and also very, like, visually cinematic Mm -hmm. feeling. And I don't think it really captured Mm -hmm. that because there were times where I'm also just watching a frog (laughs) dance around waiting for its ATB gauge to fill. Yeah, exactly. Doing, like, (laughs) a little truffle shuffle. I'm like, this this isn't what I'm here for, but, I mean, yeah, I, I... Maybe maybe this is just Jason's bad beat. Did you play most battles with the three times speed? Only when I was only when you were grinding. Okay, I learned my lesson the absolute hard way a few times. Where uh, and for the listeners who aren't aware, the re the re released versions of Final Fantasy VII, many of them I played on the Xbox. Uh, version and i believe the switch version also has this as well where it has uh i think it's basically like an emulator that loads the game and it has emulation abilities on it where you can speed up the gameplay it has like a cheat Mm -hmm. mode built in where you can move the game at 3x speed 
You can uh, always have full HP, full MP, and a full limit mm-hmm. bar. You can turn off random encounters. And those are, three, was... those are the three things, I think. Yeah. Be- so I did use 3x speed. I used it quite liberally. Managing, like, traversal is yeah, not the fun definitely. part of that game. So I didn't <laughs> mind... I didn't mind taking time away um, from that. Because I but, will say something that kind of sucks yeah. about the three times speed is that in uh, whenever you're playing normally, if you leave X pressed, it'll automatically, as the bar fills up, it'll automatically attack for you. I did not yes. even know that. Was if you have it at three X speed, it doesn't. You have to click X. So it does, right. it, for characters like Aerith and your mages, it kind of sucks because you do have to go through the menus. But for characters like Ferret and characters that are just going to be attacking, it, it Vincent, it's, just, it's, it's great. You just hold and press and it just yeah. does it. Um, I guess this comes into, uh, I guess I want to go back to the fighting thing because I know that you have a lot of thoughts on this. And I'll let you go on a rant because I'm going to go to the bathroom really quickly. <laughs> selecting your target <laughs> oh my god i'll be right back oh my god yeah so i have a real hard time with selecting your target in final fantasy 7 for those who aren't aware it is a it is basically a 3d space that a fight takes place in and it's set up my party's on one side the enemy's on another side like a tra- traditional rpg would be set up However, the cursor is based off of where the camera is, which would be fine if the camera was static. However, the camera is not static. They want it to be a dynamic, cinematic experience. So the camera pans and rotates and zooms in and zooms out of different characters as they act, of enemies as they act, as things happen on the field. It'll pull back, and your cursor will, like all games did back in the 90s, is based off of where your camera is. I'm sure this is a function of how cameras were developed in games at that time, but the cursor doesn't stay where you want it to stay because it's based off of where your camera is pointed, and you don't control where the camera is pointed. The game does. So there's a number of times that I've healed the enemy. I have cast Bolt 3 on my party. I have cast a res on an enemy, which does nothing. And I've slowed my party. I've hasted the enemy. I've de I've de barriered my party. And it's just and or my favorite, the one that really sent me through the roof and made me want to and really really upset me was I would use a phoenix down on a character who was <laughs> alive because their 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 character frames were in the view of the camera basically overlapping each other, and the cursor barely moved between what it was pointing to and it i will agree with you <laughs> it is not a good execution all they needed to menu. add was <laughs> at least for party targeting for party targeting just whatever the cursor on the screen's pointing to point to it on my battle menu on the bottom at the same time that's it one more cursor i'm good i don't care about the the enemy targeting because it really just turned into how many all targets do can i can i equip <laughs> Because the game did not punish you for yeah. all targeting, which is a different story. But targeting was a bit of a mess. I think it could have been a little bit more efficient. But like you said, I know that there is an extensive mm. development history with Final mm. Fantasy VII. All the way up to Nintendo swearing Square Enix off. And 
all of this sort of stuff. So I, I'm not surprised. I'm honestly impressed at how effective mm-hmm. the materia system and how effective the battle system is in spite of the development roadblocks. I would, I, I'm going to be less charitable than you. That one was not a, like that one, they, they wanted it to be more cinematic. They were, they were, they were on their own fumes a little bit too much on that one. They were like, oh my God, <laughs> we can, we can have this really cool. So, dude, you've made six games already, which was just menus. Sometimes a menu is just, the best thing you can use it's and they went back to menus for selecting like who are you going to be affecting because it was just easier and better i think that one was a they worked harder for a worse experience um and granted 3d games it was the wild west people didn't know what was good and what was bad but that one i Mm -hmm. think would have been really quick to realize oh wait this is a mistake (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um yeah unless they designed it with that in I, mind I, of like oh they'll phoenix down the the, the opponent a few times and it'll be great <laughs> the the number of times that i like phoenix down i mean and this comes back to the atb system where it's like you're one of one of my favorite experiences in rpg is when you're very evenly mm-hmm. matched with a boss and it feels like there's a real back and forth of i could lose at any moment i could turn the corner at any moment because it's the because to me the experience of playing an rpg is twofold there's i'm i'm winning battles that i shouldn't because i have a good strategy or i'm par- i'm at parity with battles and so i feel like there's a there's back a good forth, yeah. there's a sense of me yeah. succeeding and then there's the power fantasy where I'm so deeply overleveled that I'm just blowing things up. I'm hitting things for nine 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 damage. I'm casting ridiculous spells on like tiny little Frogs. like enemies or whatever. And I think that there's a balance there that that makes it cool. But the battle system didn't yield great results. Of I'm at parity. I'm just close enough to to beat Sephiroth, to beat the Black Dragon, to beat this, but I got got by the eight haste fell off Tifa or slow fell off the dragon and I cat and I use my Phoenix down the only resurrection item in the game that still only resurrects for 300 HP at the end of the game. And I couldn't get my X potion to them fast enough on the backswing to heal them back to full. And then they do the AOE. And so like, there's just this, there's a lot of death loops that I experienced uh, at the i would say halfway point on probably somewhere around in the middle of disc two on is where i really sort of stepped up and i think that's probably the point when i went from being a little over leveled versus the game to being probably mm-hmm. at level if not a couple levels below which is generally where i where i would yeah. rather play a, yeah. play an rpg to get to to have the most experience but it just at some point i just remember being in some cave somewhere where you just fought like a dragon in a hallway infinite it was after you get the uh mm-hmm. black material okay yeah yeah, 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 yeah. and yeah. there's a hallway and i just ground i just grinded like crazy in that hallway i put on 3x i locked in uh, infinite limits and i just i just let the i just i found as much i just spent as much time getting i'm trying to remember because i uh, what what did i do so because I felt that this playthrough, I honestly was never, I always was at a spitting distance to beat the opponent until I got to Sephiroth. 
Sephiroth was the only one where I had to go back and be like, I told myself I was never going to grind and I never technically did grind, but I did say I will do side stories as my grinding. So I'll do Yuffie's side story as uh -huh. my grinding. I'll do um, get this item as my side story and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And it honestly was a little bit too much because I went on a few different... And the problem was that since I told myself that, I saved all the side stories until the very end. And I didn't realize that you can miss Yuffie's yeah. side story. <laughs> like, I I didn't yeah. uh, lose... I, I lost my materia, but I reloaded my save state because I'm like, I'm not going to do that side story until I need to. And it just never came. And then I just missed it, which is sad. I'm going to I'm going to be very vulnerable. That was a great I'm going to be very vulnerable story. here. As a kid, I wasn't a Tifa or Aerith person. I was a Yuffie. A Yuffie I was like, person. yo, Yuffie's so cool. She's like a ninja and she's like a thief and she's Your playing around. She's spunky. I like her. Like I don't a lot of people hate Yuffie mm -hmm. and I don't. Like I think I think it's not to get into polit politics or whatever, but it's it's the whole is stealing a moral like morally right. always morally wrong, is it like that? I'm like, I I not don't really. think it is either. story was was really good, and I liked. Uh, was that that wasn't Junon? That was um. Uh, God, what's the name um, of the? I think it starts with a W. The island. Wu-Tai, thank you, yeah. Wu-Tai. So I, I really, like, I yeah. stumbled onto Wu-Tai. I was flying around. I saw this town. I was like, this looks cool. I need to buy some items. And then I walked into her hometown and her side story, and I thought this, I thought it was great. It was so silly and irreverent with um the with the Turks. I love I, I loved the Turks to death. That was my yeah. favorite part of the entire game was any time I got to mess with the Turks. Turks are Turks are the prototypical. They were Nomura was starting to test out 100%. organization thirteen. I would I would the wish Turks. there was more Turks <laughs> DNA in organization thirteen. Because they were all a little too hot topic. But that being said, Axel was the best by far, and we all know that. But anyway, yeah, I love yeah. the Turks to death. Absolutely loved any sequence with them. And hmm. Yuffie's story was was just really heartfelt because Yuffie felt like such a great foil such a great mirror to cloud's character where they're both like they're both inept due to inexperience and yuffie's inexperience comes mm -hmm. from shinra's you know basically colonialism yeah and her age and yeah, she's, clouds she's... came from shinra's colonialism and uh i mean like mm -hmm. and hojo <laughs> but yeah it's 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 cloud is is um a a character of a a tragedy through colonialism but a success of colonialism propagandizing the 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 people that they colonized um to make them feel like the bigger like oh yeah shinra's great um they colonized us but everything is better under this Are you saying colonial this control Wu while wutai no, I'm saying uh, that about um, Cloud right. and Nibble and Nibelheim. Like he, 
he becomes propaganda, like his propaganda worked on him that he wanted to become a soldier. I want to become the super cool. Yeah. Like, and let it, and let it, let things. it be. No, while, while Wu Tai. not supporters of colonialism. When I say success, I don't mean success as in a good thing. I mean success as in they succeeded right, yeah. at doing the I, horrible I, I, thing. Yes, I think Nibelheim is that, um, is that you know, yeah, 100%. And Wu Tai is the opposite. They failed. Uh, yeah, and I mean, Junon um, plays into that as well uh, in terms of like the port town. What's the name of the, the seaside resort? Yes. Costa yes, del exactly. Sol. Costa del Sol was great because it's like, it, it, it's very much a game that's in conversation with its time period ironically mm-hmm. uh you know it's a it's a 90s post-world war ii japan commenting on what it sees i think american imperialism looking like in especially in the 90s yeah. especially you know post-cold war american imperialism whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. uh and it's it's a really interesting example of how how final fantasy 7 i think more than a lot of other final fantasies at the time were was really encapsulated in the world that it's being written in and the and in you know yeah. the current events of the times with like like you were saying with with wu tai and Nibelheim and junan and costa de sol all being these colonial cities these colonial uh or these colonies i guess of shinra corp yeah yeah of shinra not a country of shinra corp and um yeah you you have this experience of these different examples of it in a time when you know post-colonial post-cold war you know american outreach was very real i you know uh, you you grew up in puerto rico as, as a prime example of this yeah Puerto Rico is definitely a, I mean, let's want to get a little bit deeper. It's kind of like Wu Tai in that um, United States tried to stand out Puerto Rican culture. Um, I wasn't alive for it. Uh, this was before my time, but essentially the, to wave the Puerto Rican flag was illegal yeah. at one point in, in Puerto Rico. Um, there was state mandated uh, American teachers at every school uh, and they were trying to force all school to be in English and they were trying to do all these things because they were trying to do um, to stamp out the uh, Puerto Rican culture. And um, just like Wu Tai, um, yeah, we we were we were um, like colonized a little bit different from Wu Tai because Wu Tai was was taken over through force. Uh, Puerto Rico was taken over through sleazy means. <laughs> um bit of history for for our, for those who don't know uh united states gave aid to puerto rico in their in fight of independence against spain and they had their military in puerto rico trying to help and doing this war against spain uh once puerto rico once their independence against spain the united states said oh we'll just stay here and you don't have a choice <laughs> we're and it's like well neat yeah. uh, um so 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 it wasn't exactly like Wutai where they were like, we're going to battle you and take over you or whatever. But it was more of like, this is a nice, <laughs> this is a nice place you got here. Yeah. <laughs> I think we'll stay. But just like Wutai, there's this spirit of, of like, we're not going to lose our culture. We're not going to lose our, our sense of being. We're still going to have our traditions. We're still going to have, just because we've lost, just because we're a colony doesn't mean that we need to be a subservient 
uh, to Shinra. And yeah, I uh, bide for your time and, and, you know, all these different things. Yeah. I don't think there's a lot of conversation uh, around why Puerto Rico is uh, sort of like this pseudo state that it is as much as but I, I think it's important to see how something like a game from 1997 can still be relevant today how yeah. final fantasy 4 right another one of the greatest final fantasies ever made with iconic characters incredible story really it, it that speaks to more general ideas of fascism of kingdoms of evil versus good Whereas mm-hmm. Final Fantasy VII is a game with cars, with planes, and it's not like weird alien shit on the moon. Like in Final Fantasy IV, it's just it's just futuristic. It's just sci-fi. It's it is yeah. Nora and the rest of the team incorporating. I would go so far as steal something from Tim Rogers, another uh, prolific uh, game analyst and stuff like that. I think Final Fantasy VII. There's a case yeah. for it to be cyberpunk. It's 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 a dystopian future where a corporation has taken over practically the whole world. Um, it doesn't have the hallmark outside of Midgar. It doesn't have the neon lights or the aesthetics of cyberpunk. But the story is a very cyberpunky story. I, I guess it was cyberpunk plus some level of solar punk, uh, as futuristic as 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 that is yeah. of like fighting for Earth using technology and fighting against uh, the most uh, punk thing you can do is right. is fighting for the Earth right. and being a hippie yeah. kind of I, deal, you know? I think, I think that's um, absolutely right. I think there is a great case for it, too. It's not, it's not like hardcore OG cyberpunk like William Gibson's Neuromancer. Yeah. Um, in, which is all just city sprawl. Everything's L.A. or New York City and neon lights. Mm-hmm. And it's not... Like the film adaptation of Blade Runner, the film adaptation of Do yeah. Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, but in Do Androids Dream mm-hmm. of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick, there's there is city sprawl and neon lights, and then there's parts of that of that that are just catastrophically ruined environs, right? Mm-hmm. And the outside world. And I think that's a big part of it too. And I and I absolutely think there's a case for it. I think it's pretty interesting to call to call final fantasy 7 solar punk as i feel like that's maybe giving Nomura a little too much a little too much credit but that's fair <laughs> uh I can, I can totally buy it solar punk's great and it probably is a hindsight view uh, just because any there have been um, environment terrorist attack environment terrorists yeah. in the past yeah. before solar punk so so probably it's a huge stretch. I, I don't think it's that huge uh, of a stretch. I just that. think it's kind of it, it's it's a funny way to look at Final Fantasy VII. I mean, this case this yeah. game came out year, decades after Dune by Frank Herbert, which is arguably just as solar is can be argued to be just as solar punk as something that Becky Chambers mm-hmm. wrote, you know, five years ago or something like yeah. that. Going back and really quickly to cyberpunk, something that you need to put your your like I need to put my head into. Um, when playing this game is the this game came out in a time where three cds was unheard of and it was crazy to think how much content is three cds gonna actually be because when you play the game when it was released you didn't know there was gonna be anything outside of midgar (laughs) this was something that was like 
that was the first plot twist, right? Like, oh, there's a huge world outside of Midgar. I thought this was going to be a cyberpunk dystopia city only. We are going to be going to like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if people thought, okay, there's eight districts. Those are the yeah. eight dungeons yeah. that we go I, to. I, It'll be eight dungeons and it's. I a hundred percent. And it's so funny because that you bring that up specifically because probably the thing that I've heard the most from talking to people who are like, oh my God, I loved Final Fantasy VII growing up. That was my favorite game. I replayed it all the time. I always expect them to bring up Aerith's death. What actually, what they all, every single person I spoke to about it brought up was I couldn't believe that the game didn't take place in Midgar. And I thought that was the coolest thing that out of, that the biggest takeaway is that everybody's mind had this huge, just like giga brain moment of, this game is so much bigger than I thought. This is this is like this is what Final Fantasy is all about. Is it still keeps the original tropes? It still keeps this world this world sprawl, but it has the overmap. And I yeah, I, I thought that was that was such a great such a great experience in the game, especially knowing like you never go back to Midgar. That's it. Like you, unless you want yeah. to. I never finished the side quest to get back in, but once you leave. It's yeah. over. That's not, that part of the game, that part of everyone's life is very much behind. Like, like Barrett <laughs> never sees Marlene again in the course of the game that the player sees, unless you go back. Yeah, yeah I mean they do it. after the end of the game when they save when they save everything. But oh, well, okay, we can talk about that enough, later. But <laughs> yeah, so I just think that yeah, I I mean it's certainly cyberpunk and it certainly has this this expectation that it's unwinding and i mean this is taking place this is this was made in the late 90s i'm curious as to sort of its conversation or nomura's conversation just with other media at the time of things like uh evangelion ghost in the shell uh and mm -hmm. other like really titular ghost in the shell is such a, such an easily huge uh how's it called yeah. um inspiration I, I mean, it, it's got to be right. Like, I mean, these are these are titular. I, I'm sure Akira plays into this as well, where you have these titular mm -hmm. breakout forms of Japanese media that are sweeping that country by storm and also taking taking storm across the Western media, albeit not not to the same degree that it does now. You know, you a new episode of My Hero Academia drops and it has billions of views around the planet. But, uh, you know. <laughs> What I'm getting at is there's a lot going on in Japanese media that is super relevant to Final Fantasy VII, and my image and of the scope of Final Fantasy VII as a game in the '90s and early 2000s is warped by being a 14 year old or seven year old to like a 15 year old when this was all happening. <laughs> if you don't mind, I wanted to throw some oh, stats yeah, sure. out there. When I was writing the article, I looked up things about its release. So. The game Final Fantasy VII sold two million copies in three days in Japan. The day of release, January thirty okay. first, nineteen ninety seven, it sold three million copies in Japan. That's it. It didn't come out in America until legally it wasn't supposed to, or by rights it wasn't supposed to come out until I believe mm -hmm. November or October in the United States. And according to sources on Wikipedia, IGN, things like that retailers were under so much western audience pressure to get the game in their hands that many <laughs> retailers broke street date and dropped the game in september oh of 1997 God. instead of i wonder uh, for your this is a homework for you if you don't I mind love it. 
could you look at the at the uh playstation one sales graph did was there a bump for playstation one sales just because of final fantasy 7 because at one point that was how they were selling it this was the flagship playstation one game at one point like Nintendo 64 has their Marios and their Links and their Zeldos and yeah. we have Final yeah, Fantasy. I mean, it's you know. It... Hey there, dear listener. Your host Jason stepping in here with some of his homework assignment completed. So, in 1997, the PS1 sold 19.37 million units in Japan, 10 million more than in 1996. Arguably, that's because of Final Fantasy VII. However, I cannot confirm nor deny. However, it arguably sold better because of Final Fantasy VII, yet Dragon Quest VII beat it out overall lifetime sold units at 3.8 million units. During this time, the Sega Saturn was crashing and dying, which was the number one competitor for the original PlayStation. In fact, Sony goes as far as suggesting that the N64, rather than being a competitor, made gaming a natural part of a household conversation and improved their overall sales, as the PlayStation was marketed directly towards teenagers as opposed to a family console like Nintendo. An interesting fact, by 1997, there were 52 nightclubs in the United Kingdom with dedicated PlayStation rooms because... Wipeout for the PlayStation became directly associated with rave culture. Don't really understand that, but pretty interesting. One of their marketing executives, Glendening, recalled that he had discreetly used at least 100,000 pounds a year in slush fund money to invest in impromptu marketing. All this is from the Wikipedia article, so please feel free to check it up there. So just some interesting PlayStation facts. Please continue. It's mm. just such a crazy history of reception for this game, and I would be shocked yeah. if it didn't push consoles yeah. over the door. I'm sure it did. I mean, like like I alluded to earlier, famously, I believe it was Sakaguchi got into a huge fight with the current pre- with the, at the time the current president of Nintendo because Nintendo announced very unexpectedly <laughs> to many developers, including Square Enix, that they were. Canning. that they were going to a cartridge system for the N64 instead yeah. of a disc. And Sakaguchi and the rest of Square's team were like, we're tired of making hardware concessions for Nintendo. And Sony said that they're going to do discs, so we're going to do discs. <laughs> and sorry, Nintendo. And then that started a decades-long feud between Square Enix and Nintendo, wherein Nintendo was not publishing anything that had uh, Final Fantasy on it, I think, until... It was probably somewhere around Crystal Chronicles and for the GameCube and maybe Tactics, and it, there maybe there was there was a GBA. There was a whole series of Final Fantasy games on the GBA, yeah. and I wonder how much of that is changing of the old guard <laughs> and releasing that yeah. versus they were re-releases and remasters of the old games that that were originally on Nintendo consoles. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a, there's a pretty incredible just reception. Uh, the other stat that I thought was crazy is that by the end of 2005, the PlayStation had sold 9.8 million. The PlayStation version of Final Fantasy VII sold 9.8 million copies, including 4 million in Japan. Wow. So it was bigger internationally. Well, 
after uh, after over time yeah wow. the first year it sold i mean they i think it took a year for the for the west to get for north america to get a million copies sold so mm-hmm. and that came out 8 months later yeah, yeah. so it's it's a pretty it, i mean it's a big game final fantasy the, to japan japan why was i going to say japan that was, that was, that was not good uh, japan had a uh, was essentially did not believe too much. I mean, that's one of the reasons that a lot of Japanese games didn't um, release in in uh, in the West uh, in America because they just were like, "Oh, the Americans don't want this type of game um, yeah. and stuff like that." This was so. This was a very big um, gamble for them. Like mm-hmm. from their perspective, they're like, "Do people even want turn based games?" In, in the in in america um yeah it paid off i mean it's it, it was a huge gamble for sure and i mean it definitely it, it certainly paid off right but it's it's just it it's one of those it's one of those i think watershed moments in in not just gaming history in the late 90s early 2000s but probably in the greater media conception because i think I think it had a ton of impact on maybe not a lot of the directors or executive producers in of films in the early 2000s, mm. but I think there's a lot of people who had small amounts of creative, like this is all headcanon, this is all just conjecture, but I mean, the, it wasn't cool to be into video games yeah. up until, I don't know, 10 years ago maybe? Yeah. Somewhere, something like that. Like it was, it was... Uh, there's a really great podcast uh, called The Why Button. It's a uh, video game interview podcast. I just listened, I think, the first episode. Uh, I'll grab the info on it later, but it was definitely worth checking out. And they were interviewing very famous uh, journal, video game journalist and writer and content creator who started in uh, law and had practiced law for a year, for about three years and was basically was play was found in the break room playing their ds and was basically told by other seniors like you need to cut this shit out like you can't be like this is a terrible look like what if a client sees you like you this has got to go and it's like very and like this is happening in in the last 20 years that yeah. this is a conversation this is something that happened this is a conversation that took place like it's just like for whatever reason has this huge stigma and so I don't think in the 2000s you had a lot of people admitting to I I played Final Fantasy 7 10 times and it's the most important thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. And I'm also, you know, directing a movie or something like that, but I do think that it had a lot of influence on just creatives in the 2000s I mean, this moving is, forward this, outside of games. This is a call back to my parents, right? Like <laughs> like they were like video games are not something that you can make a a, a living in. It's uh it's something that uh you just uh, just magically happens and appears. Um, nobody works in these types of things. Um, and, and if you we're like, we're here them, to tear down Fran's parents. No, I'm no, no, they did. I don't know you, but I, I, you've raised a great son. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have to tell my mom to watch <laughs> to listen. I guess I wanted to go a little bit back. Uh, one of the things that I, one of the notes that I had that I really wanted to talk about was the subdivision of the game uh essentially of like what i feel like are the big sections or chunks i think there's like five big chunks and i wanted to talk about this when we talked about midgar because midgar i think is the big first big chunk that is that is by itself one thing yeah 
Uh, I feel like the second chunk is all the way up to Era's death. That's uh, the second chunk. The third chunk is yeah. all the way to losing Cloud. The f- uh, fourth yeah. chunk is essentially the what we will call flapping, fluffing about <laughs> and doing and getting the big materia because apparently we need to get these. So I guess big materia is the is the oh my god huge materia. And then huge the last materia. one is the northern crater slash the rest, like trying to get Sephiroth and all these things. And it's so crazy to me that every right. time we talk about Aerith's death and all these things, that that's not even halfway through the game. It's so early through the game, but it's such a huge chunk of the game, emotionally and gameplay-wise. Um, and so much so that if you think about it, the first three sections have huge plot twists to the story. Midgar not being yeah. the only yeah. thing in the game. Aerith's death and Cloud's uh, identity yeah. crisis and everybody just yeah. talks about Aerith and it's such it goes to speak and I would like that one one of the things when we were going through these um through the um cheats and like how you can turn on god mode and all these things was one of the things I worried about is that a player who plays there's there's this movement slash thing about like oh all games should have a super easy mode because I just want to experience the story. And I do agree that there has to be an easier mode from an accessibility standpoint. However, video games have a innate sense of making you feel through doing things that other media can't have you do. Like if you may play video games as if it were a movie, you're going to miss some of the stuff. And the reason I bring this up is because of Aerith. Aerith is the prototypical cleric white mage going to save the world character, right? 100%. 100%. And we can talk a little bit about how that character gets a little bit distorted in her character. But she is that prototypical character. And as such, the game really pushes you to having her in your team early so because she is the best healer slash spellcaster in the early game other than Cloud because Cloud is just good at everything. Um, so the game really pushes you to wanting to have Aerith in your team. Like, play with Aerith, play with Aerith. Yeah. And my first time, I played with Aerith a lot. I She was my strongest character I also played next to Cloud. So, remo- so there is not even a story beat to her death. There is a game design... Like, they were purposefully trying to push Aerith, trying to say, this is your healer. This is the backbone. This is your emotional center. The the character that keeps everyone okay, alive, both emotionally and through health um, spells and all these things. And to take that away from you is not just strong from a story perspective. It's huge from a game design perspective because now, for the rest of the game, you don't have a perfect healer anymore. You can you can right. kind of have Cloud be a healer. You can kind of have all these characters, but her her limit break is a healing spell, free healing spell for like like yeah. And not yeah. to have that is so strong. And I forgot to mention this from my nostalgia story uh, when I was in Japan working. They uh, they had the uh, Final Fantasy VII exhibit uh japan is huge with their exhibits like their limited time only exhibits um and Mm -hmm. they were there for like three months 
I was able to go yeah. there and I went with a friend of mine and we were going and it's pretty much each room. There's uh, 13 rooms. Each room is one of the different Final Fantasy games or I think 15 at this. Uh, no. Yeah. 15 Final Fantasy 15 had just come out. So each room was like uh, concept art and all these things. And I told myself, That's I'm not going to cry <laughs> when we hit Final Fantasy 7. We go through Final Fantasy 7. I look everything. I get a little bit emotional. I don't cry. <laughs> We did it. We got this. We get to the 15th room and there's one more secret room or not secret room, one more room that they don't tell you about. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what is this? You open the door. It is a recreation of Aerith's church with the flower oh in the God. middle and the music playing. My hair is getting on end and I just start bawling. Like, it is such an emotional, like, (laughs) oh my God. My friend needed to be like, are you okay? Do you need a moment? I'm like, I just, I just need to be, God, this is probably. It's a titular moment. It's, I, I did not expect to get into a conversation about accessibility, talking about Final Fantasy VII, but this is, uh, this is why it's important to talk about accessibility in video games. I am not a diehard Dark Souls needs to be 20, like, cannot have any easier mode or whatever, but I do understand that there has to be some room for game uh, designers, game developers, to allow a minimum level of difficulty to get their message across. Um, so it's hard, man. It's hard because I really do agree with the sensibility of you need to make games. We need to make games more accessible. Um, but it's, it's kind of like saying we need to make some movie, some horror movies less gory because I don't like gore or whatever, but that's kind of like, it's what some of those movies are for, you know, it's, like, it's, I, 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 think, I think it's I want to table discussion. a conversation about accessibility yes. in games for another Let's episode. I think it. it's extremely interesting, and I think we can bring some other voices into the conversation as well. Yes, that definitely. Are a little bit more expert on on general forms of ex- of, of accessibility. Mm-hmm. Um, that being just bringing it back to Final Fantasy, though, the idea that the game is pushing you towards you putting Aerith in your party just to rip her away from you and make that moment of of loss again bringing back to this this sort of motif i have of loss in the game so much more Mm -hmm. meaningful is is interesting i don't necessarily agree with the idea that the that there's a risk of the cheat modes or the god modes taking that away because you don't recognize that she's such a good healer because healing wind is such an out of control limit break at the beginning of the game that it's it's hard to even if if you only played the game in god mode i could see it mm-hmm. but i yeah that's what I, that's what that was my worry yeah like if a player goes in they they find they're like oh i have god mode i don't need any healing spells i don't need anything i'm just gonna put cloud barrett and red 13 because they are my strongest players and i'm just gonna just press x and play for this story <laughs> yeah i love red, red 13 is great um uh, nanaki um but uh that was my worry when i first heard of god mode i was like my worry is that if this is people might people might not people might get the story beats of like oh i see why it's so painful but if you're not playing with Aerith on your team in fact if you're playing god mode all the time 
Aerith is a detriment because right. her attacks are weak. Uh, her limit doesn't matter. Um, yeah, I, I don't think... I, I mean, I'm being a little assumptive here, but I don't think that there's probably many people out there who play the game only in God mode. I think it's probably yeah, more likely so. that, like, the like gameplay is fun. Like the fights are fun. They can get a little <laughs> frustrating, but when you hit the like, <laughs> when you when you when you hit the the, the the bosses, when you hit like your stride, like it does it does give you a sense of satisfaction in doing it well. But moreover, on this uh, again on this point of uh, loss with Aerith and the mm. designers pushing you to get her in your party just so that they when they kill her it's going to be that much more impactful and you don't get her back she never comes back you barely see her again you have memories of her you have conversations about her mm. but we don't really see her she doesn't show up astrally or something like that she doesn't show up in the in the cosmos with uh nanaki's grandfather or anything like any weird shit like mm. she's gone dude like like it's over She's yeah. gone. I think she only gets one more appearance, and that's at the very end of yes. her praying. Yeah. And that's it's, it. Like she has a brief moment where you realize that she dropped holy into the pool. Oh yeah. With the clownfish that you can't ever get through. Yeah. Anyway, that drew me crazy. But um Aerith's death, I think to me, I saw I, I knew it was coming, right? Everybody knows that Aerith dies at this point. It's mm. it's very, very difficult to play the game earnestly in two thousand and twenty-three. Yeah. Because of that. However, yeah. what I will tell you that nobody talks about, nobody brings up, and I was I was at the edge of my seat, my jaw was on the floor, I was freaking the fuck out was the part where the game almost makes you kill her as cloud and every button you touch is is yes. i've never had that experience in a game yeah, i'm like moves every, it closer i've played more games than i than, than i can count i've played indie games little games triple a whatever you call it i i that is such a unique experience to me to have this moment where i'm like i'm like i don't want like i was sitting with with my partner with aislin on the couch and I was like, I, she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I can't stop. Like, there's no, I'm like, touch a button. And she's like, I'm not killing Aerith. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like every button. I'm like, I'm like, is this how it happened in the game? How does nobody talk about it? I thought Sephiroth stabbed her. What's going on? And uh, eventually like, you know, Cloud breaks out of it and doesn't do it. But holy shit. Like something uh, really quickly about breaking out of it. The person who shouts Cloud's name yeah. is Tifa. I just realized which shows again that Tifa is like, it always. has always been there for Cloud, essentially like trying, like bringing him back from the brink of yeah of going too far. Um, I guess this is a good let's segue to Tifa. Segue to Tifa. Tifa, what a great character! Another character that I would say, obviously. Obviously, it's just, it's same as Barrett. Woman needs to have big boobs. Not great, not great like visual 90s sensibility uh, representation. Not great, there. little, not great visual representation. Yeah, uh, little, little bit, exploited. maybe a little bit more than uh, a little bit, but yeah, true, exploitative. <laughs> um, it, it feels like it feels like the artists, or I guess Nomura, were very much 
playing to the market yeah, and to the 90s 100%. and whatever and art style and stuff like that but the writers i think the writers had knew there was more here because again tifa is definitely like Aerith and tifa are juxtapositions of their character guess uh, of their characters Aerith is a white mage supposed to be the dainty princess uh and stuff like that she's great but she's not she's spunky she wants she's 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 like oh, yeah, i'm gonna even, do whatever i want uh, like uh, whatever again another another <laughs> juxtaposition another uh subversion of the expectation yeah. right cloud's not an edgelord he's a dweeb he's a dork he he doesn't he's just kind of a loser yeah. Aerith, dainty white mage prim proper skirt down to her ankles she's a badass she's super cool she breaks all the rules yeah she doesn't listen to anybody Tifa, Tifa dressed like and Tifa dressed in a tight t sh- a tank top, a mini skirt. She she has these crazy gauntlets on. She fist fights and she's like she's kind of dainty and she's like kind of like she's she's motherly. She's yeah, she gets sweet, embarrassed. Very she's earnest, like, like super mo- like very matronly, very very yes, not not like motherly and like it, it, it. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but she yeah again very very great very interesting character because again super super subverted if if anything now i'm trying to think about it, i'm trying to think about it. so cloud nostalgia cloud being like subverted for external media Aerith, same thing she's super dainty super princess in any external media like in kingdom hearts she's very like oh no yeah me too, yeah me, 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 me. like super like that i think the only character that goes unpunished is tifa like in kingdom hearts 2 tifa He's still a badass, like in Final Fantasy VII, but she still wants is trying to find Cloud because she's right. worried about him. She wants to like make sure that he's fine. She's just like, like she's not being like, oh, I'm a badass and I'm gonna, I'm gonna Cloud is my husband and he's, I'm gonna grab him by the ear and it's like, go back home. You need to like, like this horrible like stereotype, right? Of like the the powerful woman of like being yeah. overbearing on on the love interest. No, she's she actually she's like. I'm right. looking she's, for him because I'm Cloud's worried. caretaker. Like in, I, I want, I forget the name of the town, but uh, when the life stri- Nibelheim, yeah. Oh no, no, uh, yeah, that's yeah, how. She's Cloud's caretaker when <laughs> he's like mumbling in a wheelchair. Like, I mean, and what a like what a stark image there too of you lose Cloud in your party, and you're like, I don't even know how to play this fucking game. And I was like, what am I supposed to? Who do I? What do I do? I don't. I lost Aerith, and so now I have. Now I have. Uh, and so I had Cloud at least, and I had Tifa. So like Tifa's automatically back in, mm-hmm. and I'm like, who, who, who am I gonna put in my party? Kate Sith, Vincent. Like I don't care about any of these characters <laughs> nearly as much as I cared about Aerith as, as Tifa as as Cloud. And then you lose Tifa too, and then they take her away from you. And now you're like, <laughs> and then they have the whole conversation on the airship, and they're like, Sid, you're our leader. And I'm like, <laughs> where's my vote? Really? I'll give it to Nautiki before I give it to Sid. Like, real like it, it's yeah, she's she is this this Sid is Sid is we could talk uh, Sid I is the hyper masculine. He's my least favorite character. I hated using <sighs> yeah. him. I, I I was not impressed with he, his he his is... breaks. They were like I get that it, I'm like, why is he a dragoon? I like I like um pg-13 yeah. version of him more than i like final fantasy 15 final fantasy sid way more than i like uh the like this sid um 
Um, but yeah, it was like Tifa and Aerith. And I mean, that was a huge like conversation of like, very obviously very oh it's all male centric of like which which is all male gaze and everything like this but here's here it is oh no the time you've all been waiting for the giga brain i i i have my my third eye opened and i realized because it's always been a question who is the like true like who will cloud end up with and i i have come to realization that canonically Aerith is Cloud's oh. girlfriend. Canonically. But canonically, Tifa is Cloud's <laughs> wife. I sincerely think that if Aerith oh didn't die, God. Cloud and Aerith would have started dating. They would have been together, but eventually Aerith would have broken up with Cloud. There's too much. It was it was a rebound thing. She was thinking about Zach. She Zach is too Zach. different Cloud from Cloud. Cosplaying as Zach. Exactly. So so I think I sincerely think, and I really think that it would have been it would have been a good relationship for Cloud. Like Cloud would have been able to come out of his shell more and all these things. But I really think that in the end, it would have been an amicable. Like Aerith is like, We're I really don't think friends. you're the person for me. We're better off as friends. And Cloud would probably be at this point mature enough. Like Aerith has made him mature enough that he's like, you know what? I understand that I'm holding you back really. Like you like you want to go off in these adventures and do all these different things. And I don't really, I'm not really yeah. out there. I, I resent the, um, the only thing I resent in that is the Aerith is responsible for maturing Cloud part. But yeah, it's horrible. I, that's I the story. That's... I, I'm personally, if you like, I think that's a hot take. I'll, the hotter take is that uh, Aerith, Cloud, and Tifa are in a polycule, and uh, Barrett is also involved, <laughs> and Vincent's involved because I think that Aerith and Vincent honestly were destined for each other because she likes a bad boy. She likes a little bit of an wait. What? Or, I mean, Zach's actually kind of sweet. Um. Zach is very is not yeah, is the right. opposite he, he of edge. edgy, and I think that she would feel for for Vincent's story. He's a soldier. So, My soldier head cannon. Soldier. Is the, I didn't realize this was going to actually just be a shipping <laughs> podcast, but here we are. Yeah, uh, it's Aerith and Vincent. Uh, everyone's polyamorous with Cloud and Tifa, <laughs> except well, Kate Sith. Get out of so here. That has implications that we don't need to get into either. And Fair. yeah, they're in a polycule together, but. So yeah, so I think I really think Cloud and Tifa are perfect. Like, are very much, much better suited for each other. Like, I think they're both, they're both. Tifa is definitely more mature sure. than Cloud, but Tifa accepts Cloud as he is in his immaturity. Like, you feel like you mentioned, oh, Aerith is in charge of Cloud's maturing and whatever, whatever. And to the extent that's I feel like would be the dynamic of that, like Aerith trying to fix Cloud, I don't feel like Tifa would try to fix Cloud. I, can fix I think them. Tifa would be support, would be more of like, you need to find yourself. You need to be responsible for you maturing. And I'm here to support you and whatever, but I'm not going to try to change you. I'm not your mother. Like, yeah, I, I, that caregiving thing, caretaking thing was because you were sick and we're supposed to do it like for each other whenever the other is sick. 
will take care of each other. But I'm not, I'm, I'm not gonna sit around as a damsel in distress and be your mother. Yeah. Uh, kind I, of person. Tifa, Tifa and Cloud's relationship is, is, um, interesting in that regard. I agree that there's, that there's certainly an aspect of like caretakership and stewardship mm-hmm. of Cloud. I think that's probably mm-hmm. his most negative character. Maybe I don't want to say negative, yeah. but it's it's one of the things that's really hard to parse with Cloud because on one hand he is he is dealing with like deep traumas and serious identity issues personally, but on the other hand mm-hmm. he's kind of he he's kind of in this this place of distress where it does often feel like other characters end up responsible for him for his actions for his emotions for his and i don't think that that's like that that's not a very redeeming character trait i'm not trying to yeah Yeah. which not to toot the horn of like final fantasy 7 remake i really think that a lot of this is is helped by voice acting there's a lot of nuance in the voice acting yeah. for Final Fantasy VII remake. Like, there's a lot of like lame like grunts and whatever from from the from that comes over from Japanese like media, but there's so many places like just there's a p- part in Final uh, the uh, part where Cloud fights Rufus yeah. on the yeah. on the roof. Rufus on the roof at the very beginning, and he says, "I need to take care of this." Like in the text, it seems since he says I need to take care of this, it seems very edgy of, of like, this. oh, he's a lone wolf and he needs to take care of it. I'm taking in Final Fantasy VII remake. This the the nuance of the voice acting is so good, where Barrett touches him on the shoulders like you can't do this alone, and he looks at him in the eyes and says, Barrett, you guys need to get out. like you guys you're gonna die if we stay I need here. to take care Please of this. Go like he's being like he's kind of like begging begging barrett please let me do this alone because i need to save you because i've grown attached to you i've grown to like you guys i've grown you are my friends now and i've never had this before so let me do this <laughs> kind of deal and it's like wow that's that nuance yeah. is like so so nice I, it's I so can, nice I can to see have that for sure um in in cloud where he's growing my boy's gr- yeah. growing up my boy's growing yeah but we Oh, yeah, I, I would like to check it out. I, I have it on it's my good. short list. I'm hoping to get to it before the next one comes out next year. But my eyes are yeah. sorely set on 16 this summer. But anyway, without without going too much further, we are at an hour and 43 minutes. So I think wrapping this up at oh, maybe Lord. 15 is kind of where I want to be. Keep it at two hours because that's enough editing as it is. Sure. But so is there anything me, big you want to talk about? Uh, my big thing is the perception, right? And we we spoke about that. Um, and then also cloud advertising the Samsung Foma P ninety P nine hundred IVS uh, flip phone. But um, I think besides that, <laughs> oh, we're talking yeah, about the future, yeah. like well, what came in after. Advent Children, I guess. So gotcha. kind of where I left off with this with my article and where I was feeling. Um, sort of torn up and and hitting my writer's block is in this idea of loss, and I I view the game as as uh, an excision of loss and uh, an attempt to work through that trauma of loss. Again, it's it's uh, the potential loss of your home, of your planet, of your family, of your loved mm-hmm. ones, and it's like constantly fighting fighting this tide of. How do you how do you make meaning? How do you make sense? How do you heal after you've lost something? How do you heal after losing 
mm-hmm. Aerith. Okay, now how do you lose after losing Cloud? Now how do you lose after how do you how do you heal after losing Tifa? Yes. And what does it look like when we get back there? And yeah. So I guess my where I want to leave this off, and I we're not going to do this in fifteen minutes, but is is Sephiroth a sympathetic character? Ooh, okay. Is he is like, Sephiroth the so in, in Final Fantasy Seven? I don't I don't Jeez. think that Sephiroth is so there's two so to me there's two kinds of Final Fantasy villains, right? There's there's Kefka, right? Mm-hmm. I'm evil because evil's cool and I mm-hmm. like being evil. Or like Golbez, like I'm evil because I want to take over the world. Mm-hmm. And then there's I think Sephiroth, who's like, I'm evil because you've left me no choice. Mm-hmm. I'm evil because I'm now in a position where I have no, I have no, no moves left to make, and I'm, or even like Arden from Fifteen is maybe I don't a little know bit this, more like is that true justified or attempts to justify as opposed to I'm just an evil clown, God. I I think I think that there's too much like. What what would you say is the inciting incident of Sephiroth for so him for to be me, a sympathetic character? Why did he need to do all this? He he was. He was engineered by Hojo. He's Hojo's child, or Hojo's his his father, and then his mother is Vincent's ex wife mm-hmm. or wife. Fucking crazy girlfriend. Yeah. Um. Uh, girlfriend. <laughs> they, the the she yeah, she hundred percent. Vincent. Hundred yeah, percent. Let's be real here. Vincent is Snape. I would agree with Vincent that. Vincent so is, anyway, is, so, is is so is Snape. He's just a genetically altered yeah. being who's been infused with J cells with right with these Genova cells, which is mm-hmm. an alien that fell to the planet to fell to Gaia and got uncovered by Shinra. Mm-hmm. And they're like, this is really cool. What could, what could we do with it? And the, and Hojo somehow mm-hmm. makes Sephiroth. And then from the get go, Sephiroth is designed to be a weapon. He's designed to be a tool. And then Sephiroth dies. Right. And then cloud maims Sephiroth mm-hmm. in, in Nibelheim. Yeah. And, then we have a series yeah. of Sephiroth clones that tear that start tearing the planet apart and start causing chaos until main Sephiroth, the one that was killed, I guess, starts regathering them, in regathering, killing them, killing himself, gathering the J cells, bringing it's it back to the northern yeah. crater, and then he gets into the crystal, right? So for me, it's he wants to call Meteor, right? So yeah. just to re- review, he wants the Black Materia so that he can use Meteor, so he can call an extraorbital mm-hmm. planet or asteroid to collide with Gaia, the planet, to yeah. <laughs> force the life stream to react and heal the planet. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to blow it up. He wants he wants the planet to react to extreme damage and extreme wound. Yeah by pouring the life force into it at which point he will absorb the life force and he will and become and and become more powerful maybe become like a god and become and a god. for me the inciting incident is that he wasn't created to become a god he wasn't created to become evil and he's not just the genova cells either he's he is he is at first a human made out of two humans through maybe ill means or or unfortunate mm-hmm. means it created in a basement but he is a human who went through the same traumas and losses who had the same experience of he had a day job right like sephiroth's not just like like i w- i'm an evil super cool like i'm not rufus mm-hmm. 
he he was a fucking soldier. He was a lieutenant and soldier, and he just yeah. was like, I have a day job. I have to work. It's yeah. me and Zach, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I, to me, I feel like Sephiroth's a little bit more sympathetic than your typical evil character. Maybe this is a hot take. Maybe I'm, I'm too far off the beaten path, but I think that he has some redeeming qualities. I, If you play Crisis Core, if you play Crisis Core, I can see that. But inside Final Fantasy VII, there's a level of, I think this is something that, like, it has to deal with trauma and how do you healthily deal with trauma. I I can see the take of it's sympathetic in that Sephiroth experienced right. a traumatic event, which is the realization that he's a monster, so to speak. Um, and he, that he was created and all these things. But the fact that he knew that his mother was Genova even before he came to that realization kind of goes against that. Like he already right. knew something was weird going on like with him. Like he was – there was something weird with him going on already. So I don't – I don't consider him – I don't consider him a okay. character kind of like Killmonger in Black Panther, where it's like, where it's like, I have no choice. I believe this is the right thing for humanity. So that, that way, whatever, whatever. I think that he went from, hey, if I'm a monster, I'm going to be the best monster. I'm just going to be a badass monster with powers. I'm going to be the best monster there damn is. And I think that that is, that makes him. The rationale as to where he got there, for me personally, like, oh, it's kind of sad that he went through all this. But at the end of the day, you also have to be responsible for some of your actions. You can't... When it trauma involves can't destroying be... the planet, I feel like you can maybe be responsible for 100% of yeah. your actions. Yeah, but I, what I'm trying to say is that just because you have trauma doesn't 100% absolve you from all sin, you know? I totally agree. I do not want to absolve Sephiroth. I'm not taking him into confessional. <laughs> I'm not going to absolve him of any sins. I'm not going to bring him through CCD or anything like that. I guess what I'm getting at is I see Sephiroth more in line with Arden from Final Fantasy 15, who is... I, I didn't finish that. Sorry. That's okay. So so the gist there is that if, if I'm recalling correctly, maybe I'm just making this up, but... Arden is, is, you know, was amongst the gods in that game, and he was mm. betrayed. He was let down. He was he was sort of cast aside, and he's pissed. And he's gonna take mm. he's gonna take his revenge out on everyone. All that other shit, all that taking his revenge out on other people, that's mm. bad. And I think we can all agree yeah. that's bad. And having trauma mm. does not absolve you of does not give you the right <laughs> to to traumatize others. By no means, yeah. but it it is very different from a, a Golbez or a Kefka or somebody who is so evil for the just just to be the incarnation of evil, right? Sephiroth yeah. is a character who has experienced trauma. I don't think you can traumatize evil. Like pure evil can't yeah. be traumatized. It does the yeah, traumatizing, yeah. right? And so this is a character that is is unequivocally evil is mm. absolutely traumatized at the same time and mm. is committing terrible acts. And and that whole thing yeah. with Genova is what's so interesting to me because Genova is is this incarnation of evil, right? She is an extraterrestrial yeah. being that comes to the planet and 
I, I don't really understand Genova fully. My guess is that she just <laughs> wants to take over the planet because that's what she is. I think it's kind of like a virus. Right. Kind of like, I think in later Which stories, makes her sympathetic. They... Right? I, Does I, it? I, is, a vi- is a virus evil? A virus is neither, I think, good or evil, and I thus guess. Neither I think it has Genova. no emotions to And therefore, Sephiroth's totally okay. He's just a virus. He's, he's like a, infected from The Last of Us. He has no control over his actions. Yeah, I guess, but I wouldn't call that sympathetic. I I would be sorry for them, but I would be it'd be like I don't feel sympathetic for a zombie. I feel sorry that there used to be a life that that got you know taken over, but yeah. I wouldn't feel. Be, I don't know Fair if sympathetic enough. would be the Fair word enough. I'd use. It's personally it's a push anyway. Personally, I think. I think I honestly I don't want to cut this down though. I want to <laughs> let you cook. Because I do think that it is an interesting take that I've never heard That's of why we from do it, anybody folks. else. And I and I don't I'm not saying to do this for clickbait. Oh, look, I mean that will be in the thumbnail of the YouTube. No, I'm not hundred <laughs> percent. But I do think that it is an interesting take to to do it. I also think that Sephiroth in Final Fantasy VII is not that well defined from a Final Fantasy VII Sephiroth doesn't really care about you. He doesn't really know who you are. He's like, oh, you're just another yeah. one of those clones that failed yeah. experiments or whatever. And and Cloud has this one-sided beef with him because he's got memories about Zack. But Cloud has no beef. Sephiroth doesn't know who Cloud is. <laughs> like, he had a helmet practically the whole time and spoke to him once. Like, oh, this is your hometown. Does it make you feel, like, nostalgic? And that was it. Like, that was like a foot soldier I- to him. Like, there was no connection, really. And that's what I like a yeah. lot about Final Fantasy VII in their Sephiroth, how they build up a, a villain where they talk about how <laughs> badass he is, how evil he is, how, uh, all these things. And something that I do agree that Final Fantasy VII Remake does does kind of poorly, that they shove in your face Sephiroth, like, too much. Like, oh, this is the villain. This is the villain. This is the villain. It's like, yeah, but it's better if you just talk about him. If you just make yeah, him like uh, a boogeyman, okay. I agree nobody that. wants to really talk. He's definitely the boogeyman Ooh. in disc one, um, for sure. Everybody talks yeah. about him. You don't know yeah. who the fuck he is. I don't even think you see him for a while. Yes. Oh, no, you do. Yeah, he kills, president, he kills president Shinra. Yeah, but I thought that no, was all you watch, was like Zach, uh, was or Zach, uh Cloud runs up the stairs with the party, and you just you just see the president being maniacal and then Sephiroth just comes out and fucks him up and then flies away. <laughs> is that a, is that a, did you go up the stairs or elevator? I thought it was the stairs. I wonder if that's a, I wonder if that's an alternate, like, I don't remember I'm that. I wonder if he, that's he like, does, if you so different, he does kill him on screen. Maybe I'm just making it up now. Sephiroth um, kills. Uh, kills um president what's it called uh, the president Res- shinra um shinra yeah i i think i just misremembered yeah, I'm it. it up too yeah they get Why out of the prison ever... i mean that's i see i see, see cutscenes here you get like... in the elevator uh you go through the prison yeah i don't know i just got mandela i think uh i don't remember him Maybe he is killed off screen. I'm like, I'm like, trying to get through this video, and 
Oh, he is killed off screen. Okay, so that one he's killed off screen. Stabbed. And he's already stabbed by the sword. Okay. Yeah, you for a second there, I thought there was like something I didn't know about. Like there was, and you get to his desk and you see him stabbed. Yeah, you're right. That I was making that up. That was in my head. My bad. Sorry, viewers, listeners. I'm just, I'm just, (laughs) I'm rewriting Final Fantasy VII as we speak. Oh shoot! I just uh, accidentally opened up a new. uh, uh, Shut up! Accidentally opened uh, YouTube. I got some of it too. So So, cut it off. Yeah, that's that's copyright. I'm (laughs) trying to get axed. Yeah, so I think I I do think it's interesting to see to see Sephiroth as a more sympathetic character, and I think mm-hmm. looking at a lot of the villains and a lot of the adversaries in in the core over the course of the game, uh, I think many of them are sympathetic. I mean, some of them are not, like Don. What's his face? Don yeah, Corneo. Yeah, yeah he's a he's a dick. I mean, if you want to go, if you want to go that route. Like I can listen. A ca- there is a case to be made that Cloud was also experimented on, and Cloud was injected with Genova. And the reason he has Zach's memories is that Hojo did experiments on both of them on the same vat of goo <laughs> and all that stuff, um, or whatever. Yeah. It could be a case could be made that the, what makes us more human and what makes us want to be one with like save the Earth and stuff like that is your yeah. friends. Sephiroth and Cloud went through similar traumatic experiences where they didn't know who they were and they realized who they were. And while Sephiroth didn't have a support network, Cloud did. So that could be a, a, a way of looking at it. I think Um, that's a really interesting angle to, to take that from. And I, I do appreciate it. I think that's, I think that that's kind of what, what we're getting to with, the the way we connected with the characters and the party of the story right mm-hmm. is that it's they're so lovable they're so sweet they're so they're so they're, they're just so great like the party's so fantastic the ensemble's great and i mean we, yeah. we barely talked about we didn't even get to talk about anyone yeah Nanaki, uh, Yuffie, we've talked uh, yeah. a bit. Uh, Kate Sith, we didn't get to rant yeah. about. I mean, Kate Sith, <laughs> Kate is fine. He redeems himself. I think it's a little crazy of a of an insert that you have somebody who's simultaneously in the real world and also controlling a doll that's fully sentient. But <laughs> I'm not gonna get into it. I think that Kate Sith is probably the weakest character in the party, and I don't really feel that sympathetic yeah. towards him by the end of the game. But I no longer hate yeah. him, so maybe that's a win. Nanaki's great. Nanaki's by far my favorite character in the party next to maybe, I don't know, like Barrett and Tifa and like Cloud. But like, I love, I love Nanaki to death. He was always in my party. Mm -hmm. I think Nanaki's story made me, made me cry more than any i oh, i was really? i was oh, heartbroken nice. the his, seto his story backstory was heart was heartbreaking with his parents and like i i am a sucker mm. for like fuck my dad he sucks i can't stand him and then like immediately redeem him in like a Good dungeon realizing. i'm like oh. i'm like bro but <laughs> so some i know that we're coming up at the end yeah here, but i think i have something that kind of books ended because it's the ending the last scene of the game you mentioned that Barrett gets to see Marlene at the end of the game, like after I they save the world. Screen, and but I don't remember. Well, yeah, that's off screen, but that's because until more media came out, the end of Final Fantasy VII is actually unknown. They talk about how they don't know what cleansing the world is 
for the white materia that it could kill mm. off all humans. They talk about that. And at the end, after defeating Sephiroth and everything, you don't see right. any more humans. Shinra is in shambles. You only see Nanaki and yeah, his that's... children. Or who we expect to be Nanaki yeah. and his children. So there was a huge debate when it came out, actually, of is humanity dead? Is the story of Final Fantasy VII that at the end of the day, humanity was too much of a blight on on, on this earth and they mm. were wiped out? Maybe or something like that. So that's that's spooky. Yeah, so 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 you mentioned that and I wanted to bring it up quickly because that's something that um it, it is one of those inception uh, endings or last of us endings where it's like oh my god, like it drops like oh my god, I don't know. What is it? I don't know. Who did it? and then afterwards they kind of they kind of ruined it by by being like oh no, it's of Avent children. Oh no, George of Cerebus. Oh no, all these different things where where no, yeah. they're everybody's yeah, that just It's was- okay. Nanaki lived for 100 <laughs> years. He had two kids and uh, eventually Midgar fell and got covered in plants. But that's, you know, and then and, yeah. and that's where Stray takes place in 2022. Um, <laughs> Stray, Stray, the cat game. <laughs> oh, the <Yeah>. cat <laughs> Yeah. But anyway, so that was uh. that was Final Fantasy VII for me and for us. Um, I loved it. I really did. I had a lot of mm. gripes with it, but I think that's just that just means that I it, like you can't interact with 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 a form of media and not have like some some commentary on your experience. Yeah, yeah, it, especially it's old. This old. It's it's, a, it's made for a different age. I definitely recommend it. I can see why people say it's it's the one of the best, most goaded video games of all time. I mean, I think <laughs> for me, the biggest takeaway for our dear listeners is that we that you can still find very important reasons to interact with and play final fantasy seven and likely the remakes now too, because it's yeah. still telling an extremely relevant story. It's still a story about eco-terrorism about standing up for what's right and, and doing things for the sake of your friends and for your family and in the face of extreme odds and unbelievable evil. And I think mm-hmm. what makes Final Fantasy so great is that it can tell this story with like really beautiful fleshed out characters in a way that Final Fantasy I think really struggled to in the past and having played many of the of the prior games yeah. uh, 4 was extremely uh, sympathetic with its characters I believe 5 and 6 were as well but I think 7 really takes it to a whole new level of you know and, and maybe that's a function of it being three dimensional even uh, as archaic as it looks now we didn't even get into the graphics, but it, I mean, beautiful game, exceptional gameplay for many. Uh, don't get too attached to your material loadouts and you'll be, you'll have a greater experience than I did. And yeah, I just think it's, I, I think it's absolutely worth revisiting today. And like we, just to, just to really bring it back to the beginning, we talked about when we, how far we play games. I think if I replayed this game, I would probably get as far as Aerith's death and then put it down. Yeah, probably. I probably would also get there. The two fifths through the game would probably be where I would get. Um, the story is great, even beyond that, like Cloud's uh, identity crises and stuff like that. But it isn't as emotionally impactful as Aerith's death. And section yeah. four, as we mentioned, kind of a slog. Huge materia portion is kind of a slog. Um, you're kind of just doing that to 
finish it essentially to finish like it feels like they're finishing the fights for the next like 10 hours when it's yeah. just like no just make it one hour just yeah, cut that, that was, out that was definitely a, a weakness of the game i agree with everything that jason said uh the only thing not disagreement but like i guess a bit of disagreement because uh jason hasn't played the remake yet you kind of have to play final Fantasy that's VII uh that's a really that's a really important takeaway which is very very unfortunate i think that i guess this is my my hot take about final fantasy Seven remake as much as i love it um square enix was given a once in a lifetime opportunity here to just release the exact same game with updated graphics and just print free money and they decided not to do that they decided to actually change things and build it from the ground up which is both admirable from an artistic standpoint that they decided we don't just want to retell the same story but at the same time unfortunate that final fantasy 7 is so dated when it comes from graphics and um, ease of use and all these different things because i really do think that there is still a room or a um there's still a huge market for just re-releasing final fantasy 7 with uh new graphics and with um quality of life things for a new generation so yeah uh, final fantasy 7 uh, remake you kind of have to play final fantasy 7 original um to to get you're gonna be more confused than not Full it's kind of like watching brotherhood without watching the original final fantasy uh, not final, uh full metal alchemist like if you want the true experience i, you I have to will disagree and say that you can absolutely watch alchemist alchemist before watching, watching fma but that's a different podcast maybe a different episode of this one i i have heard that you can play the remakes without it but i will say that yes <laughs> playing through the first disc at the very least of final fantasy seven is absolutely worth it if you can't bring yourself for the whole game given it's about 30 hours so you're not it's not a huge commitment it's not it's not persona 5 it's not 125 hours mm -hmm. but um it's uh it, it's you i think the first disc is at least worth the play that is so interesting i think i agree with that i think Right. If you play, since we haven't seen the whole of Final Fantasy VII remake trilogy, definitely you just need and to the, play the the first disc, the re-released versions to... like of the original game on Xbox on Switch, they will tell you when the disc swaps. It will like prompt you to switch discs, and then it'll just make a save file and yes. just it'll do the work for you. So you will you will definitively know that you've gotten to the end of a disc. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's. That's interesting. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to having a discussion about Final Fantasy VII Remake and as to whether you will stand by that or not. Yeah, well, I will. Uh, <laughs> I look forward to it as well. So let's let's wrap up. Sure. What's the next game? Uh, next game uh, is right now. I am currently playing listeners. through Banjo Kazooie, and Ooh. I am playing through Final Fantasy. Uh, I'm Final Fantasy. I'm playing through uh, the Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time 3DS. 3DS. Interesting. I am a firm believer that the unequivocal way to play that game now is on the 3DS. But that being said, uh, that's what I'm playing through right now. I'm trying to do two at once because I fell behind on yeah. my schedule because I have I after this, I will still have like 18 games that I have to finish by the end of the year. And some of them are very, mm -hmm. very short. And then others are Final Fantasy VI. So um, there's, I may have bitten off more than I can chew. So the next game we're going to talk about is probably Banjo-Kazooie. Okay. 
and I might audible and make it uh, Legend of Zelda if I feel more strongly about that. But currently, I'm feeling okay. more strongly about Banjo Kazooie. I will. I will play that game. Um, I'm interested in seeing how a collectathon game replays now that we have games such as Mario Odyssey and A Hat in Time, which A Hat in Time is so good. Um, I think that I, if your experience with Banjo Kazooie is anything like mine. I, I had a it. I had a very very drastic misremembering mis mis of what that game actually is and how it's played. It is a collectathon, but it is not it. It's great, but it's it's uh it's not it's not Super Mario sixty four. I'll say that. Wow. Okay. Well, I'll try to play it. It's much funnier. And though. if I can't fit it, oh, it's much. Well, I mean, Conquer's Bad Fur Day creators, you know. Yeah. Exactly. They were they were trying. They were they were getting. There. They were getting there. Well, yeah. If uh, I don't know if we're gonna release this one before we record the next one, maybe we should just record a few of them before. We'll probably releasing, just record. Or... Yeah. All right. Yeah. And where can they find you, Fran? Uh, I guess I I have a Twitter. I guess at fo martin. I should probably now post more often. I'll try to write more on my blog. Um, there's some technical stuff in there right now. Uh, and whenever I'm making an independent game, I'll let everyone know. What's the blog? Uh, it is Juegos Fantásticos at blogspot.com. I'm pretty sure that's it. I think that's .blogspot.com. Sweet. And don't do you also stream oh, on Oh, right. Twitch? I do stream on Twitch. Thank you. <laughs> um, uh, L underscore Fantástico. Um, because Fantastico wasn't take it was already taken, and that person hasn't logged on in the last years. So uh, yeah, one day, day we'll get him. We'll one get him, day. folks. Yeah. So check out Fran on his blog spot on Twitter or on Twitch. Right now, I believe you're playing through Valorant. Uh, playing through it. Yeah, he's trying to get to the Valorant. end of Valorant. I, uh, I heard is. it's a pretty long. Honestly, game. at this point, now that I've uh, hit gold, I might switch focus and play more Magic Kazooie or Ocarina of Time uh because i'm like go. uh, gold was such a slog to get to uh if it, if it makes you feel any better how long to beat.com lists valorant as um 550 hours to beat it as a completionist but only 92 hours to beat the main story i can't tell if this is a joke or not. i it's, it, i'm being dead ass what I'm does that even mean you go to how long to beat i don't know um We'll we'll find out we'll find out next time on Dragon Ball Z. But uh, again, I'm Jason. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dancing Frog Game. You can find me on Twitch at uh, Wobicon W O B I underscore K O N. Um, or you can find me at my blog spot, which is probably the easiest, or my WordPress, which is uh, useyouritems.wordpress.com. Thanks everybody for joining us. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,